and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spooky movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi there, this is Katie. And hi there, I am Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Woo, Grindhouse (laughs) Girls podcast. Yay. Um, Yay! Um, so I did want to open this week, just start off the bat, that a um, movie of the week is The Orphanage, um, which is a 2007 Spanish horror film that is currently streaming on Hulu. So I thought I would just get that out of the way. And then, of course... And um, Amazon Prime. It is on Amazon Prime, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I have it on... I watched it on the Hulu, uh, like, Stars on Hulu app, is how I watched oh, it. Oh, I think mine is Stars on Amazon Prime. Stars. <laughs> Like, you ever play Resident Evil and Nemesis would always go stars. That's what I think. (laughs) I have a stars t-shirt, like a Raccoon City stars. I found it at GameStop on clearance, and it's a gym shirt. I used to wear it to the gym. That Um, is awesome. um, But, yeah, yeah, so uh, that is the movie that we're going to be doing. I guess we'll get straight into housekeeping, trying to move things right along. So, I think I might have edited part of this out because... I definitely talked about the wrong person. Um, but in Paris is Burning, the murder, well, alleged murder mystery that happened after Paris is Burning stopped filming actually involved Dorian Corey, who was the founder of House Corey, um, House of Corey, um, which is the house that invented voguing. Um, but she was Angie Extravaganza's house mother before she created House Extravaganza. She had had a relationship with this man, Robert Worley, or Robert Wells. He went by two different names. Um, possibly they were lovers. It was never completely confirmed. Um, but they found his preserved dead body in her stuff Ooh. after she died. Um, and he probably died of a gunshot wound. But it was like, it had been there for like 25 years. So nobody's really sure if she had anything to do with his murder or if... Someone asked her to, like, hide the body, and she just did it really well. Um, So no one really knows. There's no conclusive evidence of an intention of murder. But apparently he was kind of an asshole and uh, robbed people very often. So it could have been a burglary attempt and he got shot. Maybe he just died there. Or um, he maybe was abusive when they were dating. So maybe Dorian did not appreciate that. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to clear that up because I was like, like, oh, shit. Um, also, Mary Magdalene, the story I was talking about, when I said Judas, Judas Iscariot said, uh, the perfume thing, uh, it, it's just a random disciple or Simon Peter in the Bible, but in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> it's specifically Judas because, um, it's a better plot point in ah. Jesus Christ Superstar because it's really about the relationship between Jesus and Judas. But yeah, sorry, I just, like, I was fusing the bible and jesus christ superstar together so oops um also i want to apologize for my terrible french accent when i said <laughs> orleans i sounded like a pretentious asshole and sorry if there was too much catholic talk last week it was a lot it's okay I edited it's a lot of it out 
You're some. You're very passionate, and you're Catholic, and I think we get it, and I think our long-term <laughs> listeners get it. So <laughs> I just kind of sit there. It's hard to you don't get to see our faces, but usually I sit there and I'm just nodding because I'm listening to everything she's saying. But I just I don't really know a lot about Catholicism, so I'm like, you got this. Like you take it away. So. You do now, Brittany. I mean, <laughs> I know more than I did. I know more than I did. Absolutely. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> um. And then it's Pride Month. Happy Pride. Yeah, happy y'all. Pride. I feel like I should say that um, I think anyone who listens to us regularly knows we are a very friendly LGBT plus podcast. Um, yeah, we love people. We love all kinds of people. And you're always welcome here person. at our podcast. And if anyone's ever mean to you, let us know and we will kick their asses. So, yeah, I mean, I'm we're very short. So well, I'm <laughs> short. So it might take a while, but we're angry um um <laughs> uh, yeah so i hope everyone's having a good pride i hope everyone got their covid vaccine so they can celebrate responsibly i will say i have seen so many like really cool like um pride things in just like the first couple days and i'm like oh, that's great there was a little cute dachshund that's rainbow that i put on the instagram because i was like oh it's like gizmo by the way uh gizmo is recovering very well from his surgery if you were Yay. curious He's doing great. He has to wear the cone for another five days, which he hates. But um, he's doing really well. And um, thank you for all the good vibes because um, he's doing really well. Did you want to talk about... We have some movies if you want to celebrate Pride by watching some movies. Um, and then uh, we also like have a couple... I watched a bunch of movies this weekend for some reason that I want to just mention quickly. But which... I guess we should go with Pride movies first. Yeah, right? yeah, I think so. Um, so, of course, I think it goes without saying, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is always going to be Woo-hoo! at the that top was on of the list. list. Too. Yes, it's <laughs> absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's just a beautiful movie. Um, I It's really, really funny. I was telling Katie before we started recording, um, one of my very good friends um, is gay. And so I was like, you know, I messaged her. I was like, happy pride. You know, do you have some movies, uh, I could recommend for the podcast? And everything she said was one sorry had on the list. I was like, okay, Yay! doing good. Um, the only one that, um, that I, that she didn't put on the list and I actually need to message her back and recommend this is, um, I had mentioned a little bit before, I don't know if it got cut. Um, so we had, we were going to have a, uh, film theory class when we went to college it was going to be caught, taught during the summer mm-hmm. but only me and one other person signed up for it and because there wasn't enough people to sign up um they had to cut the class and one of them was a movie called longtime companion um that was um it came out in 1989 it had bruce davison campbell scott um, mary louise parker in it um and so the movie was about her. the aids uh epidemic but it's a beautiful movie and i was so Mm -hmm. immensely touched when i watched it and it's beautifully acted performed and it's it's gonna make you cry and i was like dude and it's not a movie i hear about a lot and i think it's sad because it is like a really really great movie so that was definitely one of the ones on the top of my list and not one that a lot of people i think we mentioned it last week too so yeah and then also paris is burning but i already mentioned that last week but yes please watch paris is burning I feel like, would you like to recommend one? I feel like I'm kind of, sorry, yeah. talking a lot. <laughs> well, I have them on there. Um, by the way, if you want to listen to our episode on uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's episode 16, which it's my 
personal favorite episode of ours because our friend Lydia came on and it was just a good time had by all. Plus it was about French people. So we drank some wine while we were recording. So it was fun. I would also say Moonlight. Absolutely. If you haven't seen Moonlight, please, for the love of God, watch it. I cried and love that movie. Moonlight is what Boyhood was trying to do. Only Moonlight had a plot and a point and some heart. Yeah. Because I feel like Boyhood sucks in comparison to Moonlight. And Moonlight was like, it, sh- it literally showed exactly what Boyhood was trying to do. It was like, oh, a man growing up. And I was like, you know what helps? A script and a plan before you start filming a movie. A movie yeah. that didn't have a lot of plan, though, that it's not specifically an LGBTQ plus movie, but it is very inclusive that we did on the podcast was Climax by Gaspar Noé. Yeah. Because there are people from all walks of life in that movie and there's it's it had no plot and so a lot of people were more representing themselves because they were more playing themselves um which i find is really cool um that's a cool movie though just to like i don't know it's just a very inclusive movie yeah um and also like i don't know it's a great movie it's a it's a great ride um and there's a movie I have not seen this movie. I've seen, like, the first five minutes of it, and then, like, I got interrupted. I need to go back and watch it. Tangerine, which is – everyone was raving. Have you seen it? I haven't. I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 famous because it was shot on a, on an iPhone or a cell phone, uh, um, the whole thing, um, and it stars two transgender women, and it does not have a sad ending, apparently. So yeah. That's nice. Is there a couple more? I have a few more, but I want to let you talk again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Carol was a phenomenal movie. Um, it was nominated for a shit ton of Academy Awards. Um, it has Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and Rune Mara. It was actually based on a, um, it was based on a book from the 1950s called The Price of Salt. And at the time, The Price of Salt was uh, one of those very famous stories like Katie talked about. Most Most stories... Um, that were written in the 50s and before if there was a gay romance it usually ended tragically and without giving spoiler alerts um while giving spoiler uh the press assault didn't end tragically like other movies did um and carol is just carol is just a beautiful film adaptation it's a lovely movie it's absolutely it's just like pretty um but then the actresses are so good too you know Um, if we're talking about book adaptations Mm-hmm. I'm going to name three off the bat because two of them are the adaptation of the same book, but different n- titles. And then one of them is the same author, but it's a different adaptation. Um, Fingersmith. Yep. There's a Hand-made. mini series that is based on Fingersmith. And then Park Chan-wook did The Handmaiden, which is yes. um, a Korean, but it takes place in Japan, um, movie. Um, Handmaiden's extremely erotic, um, but it is yeah. really beautiful. So I highly recommend it. We've talked. We've talked about. I don't know if we've kept it in the edits mm-hmm. though, because we usually like go really off on it, and then like it's an episode that's already too long. Um, so I don't know if it's something we'll do in the future. I don't know. I don't know if it's quite grindhousey enough. But also, Portrait of a Lady on Fire really wasn't either because it was like a romance, but it was just a beautiful movie. So, and not enough people had heard of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, but the same author wrote another book called Tipping the Velvet, 
which all of these are taking place in Victorian England, by the way, Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet, which Tipping the Velvet is a euphemism for cunnilingus, um, by the way, from Victorian times. But I stumbled across it, I may have mentioned this, I stumbled across it, like, years ago um, in college, and it's like, it's like a BBC miniseries, and it's really sweet, too, and again, it doesn't have a super tragic ending. So it's yeah. pretty positive, and it's it's got it's got some very interesting like parts of Victorian society, which I don't know are one hundred percent accurate, but I would call them closer to historical romance than like historical books. All of these are more historical romance, like things are a little more exaggerated, a little more erotic, but still have really good plots. Sorry, that was like three in a row, but they're all by the same author. So I was yeah, like, no, just, and uh, Handmaiden, well. Handmaiden was actually on mine and my friends list too. So that's, oh, that's, I was like, and when she brought it up, I said, I love the Handmaiden. It was a beautiful movie. I was like, those sex scenes were intense. And she's like, oh my God, I forgot about the sex scenes. I was like, <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> I said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't mind them. They were just a little bit more intense than I've seen in other movies. Um, I'll probably get some flack for this, but I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, I have to talk about Brokeback Mountain. I had it on my I, list because it's on Netflix again. I, I, you know what? When Brokeback Mountain came out in 2004, I was still, I was a young person. I was only like 15 years old. And I remember watching that movie and being so touched by the romance, but also by how tragic it was. And I think... For a lot of people, maybe in our generation, it was probably one of the first, like, major LGBT love stories we have yeah. seen. Yeah, it and, was, like, I the mean, the LGBT movie. It was the yeah. movie. And I have never seen all of it, sadly, because it came out before, like, Netflix was a thing. And it would come on TV, and I'd always catch it in the middle. And so I've seen a lot of it, but I haven't sat down and watched it. And it wasn't streaming in any of the platforms I had for a while. And so it just came back on Netflix. So I'm like, I will watch it this Pride Month. I it's promise. so good. I No no lie, I've probably seen Brokeback Mountain like six or seven times. Um, because it's just like one of those movies, if you start watching it. And I, it's based on a short story. The short story mm-hmm. was published in The New Yorker. So you can read the short story online. I've read the short story probably like 10 or 12 times. So that's Aww. no lie. I'll read the um, short story. But it is tragic. Now, on the flip side of that, if I can recommend something a little bit more lighthearted, um, that was a surprisingly, surprisingly enjoyable and funny movie was Booksmart. That's what, um, I had it on my list, but it's one that I need to watch this month. It it's, is It's good. been on my and list. So it's about two female best friends, and they're about to graduate high school. Um, and one of the best friends is, is gay. So it's like she is a lesbian. So it's a straight best friend and a lesbian best friend. And just like hilarity ensures because they're trying to like have a wild. They're like, we've never been to a wild party. Let's go to a wild party. And so it's like a teen comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I, I love Superbad. But I think it's like yeah. Superbad, but a little bit more clever. That's why like, it's been on my list for a while. And I've just been like, I just want to be in the right mood to watch it. So I'm excited yeah. to watch that. I will say also on the bent of like fun, which mm-hmm. is not Everyone has this on their list of Pride movies to watch, but it's because I was having a hard time finding a horror movie that was LGBTQ+, honestly. But Jennifer's Body... Oh, yeah. Because it's very, like... It is very, like... I think... Well, tell me if I'm wrong. um, Being a straight cisgender lady. um, But there's some connotations, but it's not villainized at all. That, like... Jennifer and Amanda Seyfried's character 
like have a very close relationship and it is exploring sexuality too um Mm -hmm. more bisexuality than anything else but um it's interesting and um it's a fun romp but it's also it's pretty touching there's also which i haven't seen this one but it stars riley keogh and um shit now i'm blanking on her name another really good younger actress or they were younger when they did this maybe jack and diane which is about oh, yeah. two young women falling in love, but one of them, I think, might be a werewolf. I think it's like a werewolf movie. So that's one that it it was streaming. I went to go watch it as like I was like, oh, maybe this would be a good grindhouse movie because it's got a little bit of horror to it. And then I was like, oh, it's not streaming for free anymore. Damn it. Yeah. So I will have to watch it later. But um. Oh, and have you seen Stranger by the Lake? Because that's another one. I haven't. That I've heard of, and it's not streaming for free right now. And I was like, I want to watch this. And I was like, ah, fuck. But Jennifer's Body is streaming, I think, on Hulu now. It was on, like, Showtime or something, and it switched to Hulu um, for Pride Month. Um, was there any other movies that you had? Yeah. Um, I've, I, uh, I, I only saw it one time, but I need to watch it again. So there's a very uh, sweet movie called Beginners. Um, and it stars Eden McGregor and his dad is played by the late great Christopher Plummer. Um, and his dad, his dad comes out very elderly. Like his dad comes out when he's like in his seventies and it's kind of like him, his dad being his authentic self for the first time in his life. And his son, like his son doesn't, he's coming to terms with it. He's not homophobic. It's just kind of coming to terms like the, with the relationship his mother and his father had. His mother's already passed on. And Aww. not only that, there's an ador- there's an adorable dog in the movie. Aww. Um, So it's a very sweet movie. It's not like over-the-top sappy or upsetting. It's just like a nice little quite sweet movie. And Christopher Plummer is so good. And he won the Best Supporting Actor for that film. I'm going to say before I forget, there is a LGBT movie that's always been on my list. I haven't seen. I'm going to try to see it. Is, um, but I'm a cheerleader. Yes! So Yes! I've been waiting yeah. to see that because Natasha Leone. I finally watched Russian Now. I'm like, I need to see that, but I'm a cheerleader movie. Um, apparently, isn't RuPaul in it? I think. Oh, I don't There's know. a bunch of people in it like that weren't as famous then that were in the movie because it was like an independent movie as they are now um also which you probably have this on your list but i didn't want to forget saying call me by your name which i need to watch oh yeah um beautiful movie absolutely beautiful so and uh timothy chamelet is that how you pronounce his last name i think it's it's uh oh timothy Sha- yeah, Chalamet, Chalamet, I think. Chalamet, Chalamet. He, he is... I don't know. YouTube it. He's definitely pronounced it for people before. I love... Okay, so I already loved him as Lori in Little Women, and technically Call Me By Your Name came out before Little Women, but I saw Little Women first, and I was like, yeah, I just love him. And um, Call Me By Your Name, just the way the cinematography is, it feels like a warm hug. Like, that. I, I swear to God, that's literally what it feels well, like. Well, it's Luca Guadagnino. He's amazing, so. Yeah, it's based on a novel. So, and the novel has a sequel, too. And my understanding is that they're planning to do the sequel. That was the novel, so. Well, maybe not with Army. <laughs> not maybe not. I don't know. But, yeah, so those are some LGBTQ plus Pride movies you can watch. If you have any other recommendations, let us know. But, yeah, so there's some. Did you watch any good movies this weekend? I'll be honest, I actually did not. Well, since I was stuck at home with Gizmo because he was supposed to be resting and I was pretty much like 
laid up on the couch with him all weekend. I ended up watching a ton of movies. Um, but I'm going to be very quick about it so we can get to our movie. Um, but there are some ones that I think I highly recommend and some that I have been dying to see and I finally watched. Um, I finally finished the first season of Hunters, which they haven't released the second season yet. So um, if you haven't seen Hunters, it is a... I, it's like a very tongue-in-cheek satire slash drama series on Amazon Prime about, um, in the 1970s, uh, a group of Jewish vigilantes who are hunting down Nazis in America. And um, it's got a fantastic cast, including Al Pacino, Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother plays a part in it. And really, the cast is just fantastic. Um, and episode seven, I bawled my eyes out. Like, I literally bawled my eyes out watching this tv show because it is that touching at parts um i also watched amelie finally oh which is cute i think i probably would have liked it better if i'd saw it when it came out but it is very cute and i'm glad i saw it um and then i did see antebellum and to say it was a disappointment is an understatement. I was so disappointed in that movie because the concept was so cool and it's absolutely wasted yeah it's mm-hmm. just the story Absolutely. is a mess. And, like, if they had switched the order of when certain scenes take place or rewritten the dialogue, I think yeah. a lot of it would have been saved because the visuals are cool. But, like, like I kept waiting for, like, a cool sci-fi twist to, like, make it make sense. And it just didn't. And then it got real weird at the end. It got real overly dramatic. And I was just like, what is happening? Um... But I did watch that, finally. Which sucks, because I really wanted to like that movie. Yeah, I know. You were, we were thinking it was going to be, like, the next Get Out, and then we're like, oh. Yeah. Oh. I was like, yeah. oh, or not. Or they took a cool mm-hmm. concept and just completely dropped it. Um, there's another newer movie that finally is available to stream that I've heard about all year as one of the best horror movies of 2020 um, called The Vigil. And it's an, Oh, yeah. Have you seen it yet? I know, but I was reading all about it. So it's one of those movies either people loved it or they got a major bone to pick with it. So I, I it really liked it. It was really good, and it's not. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like scared me, scared me, but it it it's very creepy, and I think it's 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 really interesting. Um, and I don't maybe it's because I was watching Hunters this weekend, but I was like, oh, I finally watched The Vigil. Um, it's about a, a young man who has just left um, his Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and he's, like, in a support group for people leaving it. Which I didn't realize how immersed people are in the Orthodox Jewish community in New York. It's almost like... Because I, I guess the only Orthodox Jewish community stuff that I've seen, like, on YouTube are people that are more open to the outside world. But there are parts of it that are apparently extremely closed off, almost like um, Amish people. Like, like you don't really see pop culture, and it's very much like you don't get to see the outside world. And so he's in, like, a support group for people who have just left the Jewish Orthodox faith, but are still Jewish. Like, they're not anti-religion. They just are like, oh, I want to live in the world. I want to be part of the world or whatever. Um, but he's yeah. basically paid... To be a Schumer, 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 please forgive me if I say that wrong, which is a person who watches over a vigil of a dead person when a friend or family member cannot be present. But in ancient times, like, it's rooted in protecting the body from being 
possessed by an evil spirit. And that's kind of what is happening in this. Also, Magda from Sex and the City plays the wife of the deceased. And it was like her last movie before she passed away. Or one of her last movies before she passed away. Aww. So it was nice to see Magda. I was like, it's Magda. Oh, yeah. She does a really good job, too. And the lead actor, which I, I'm blanking on his name. I forgot to write it down. But he does a really, really good job. Because it's pretty much a, him with a dead body. But um, yeah. it's really good. I think I told you I watched this finally. Um, as I said, I like I really like Michael Haneke, and I finally watched The Piano Teacher. Oh no, you didn't tell me you watched that. It have you seen it? No, but I know all about it. It is so unsettling, and I'm not the first person to say this, but it is probably the best character study in cinema history. It is so good. It's amazing. And um, I can't wait to watch it again, even though it's incredibly unsettling. And there was there's one particular scene in the bathroom that I felt bad that little Gizmo, who's seven months old, was sleeping on my lap. I was like, you are too young to be watching this movie. Um, yep. But Isabella um, Hubert is just... Or Hubert or Hubbard. Um, she's amazing. He's one of those people, like, he... Was gonna do the movie, couldn't get the funding for it. It was supposed to be his first movie. Then he did a few other movies, and then he wrote the script for it when another director was gonna direct The Piano Teacher because it's based on a novel. And then that fell through. And then finally, he got the backing to do it by himself. And he said, only if she can be the lead character. And it won like everything at the con. It, and it, it won Best Actor and Best Actress. And it's the movie that made the rule that you can only win one prize now at Con. Oh, wow. Because it took home three. So. Yeah. I don't know why it wasn't an Academy Award winner. It's Oh, well, I guess because it's foreign film. Um, But, oh, my God. That movie is so good. Um, So, I guess with that, we should move on to Brit's Pick of the Week. So yeah, um I'll be honest, so like this movie, um so I think years ago when it initially had came out, I read about it and people were like, Oh my god, you need to see this movie. It's it's a Spanish film, it's but it's a horror movie, um, but it's really good. And then cue me a couple years later, um, me and Taylor were still like we had only been together for like a year at this point. We're about to be together for eight years since July. I'm going for the Ooh. Dollar Tree. I'm going for the Dollar Tree. and Or no, Dollar General. Because Dollar General, like when movie stores close, they'll get like these DVDs. Um, and so I'm oh, just yeah, going and for like these DVDs. Do you know what I'm talking Yeah, you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Because I yeah. got a bunch of ep- seasons of Sex in the City in that 70s show. That used to be at Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, yes. one of the two. And it's like these individual DVDs, like instead of like a bit, a pack like we have nowadays. So it takes up a lot of space on my shelf. Yeah. And see, for me, it was just like a little, like, it's like a little envelope slip that mm-hmm. says Dollar mm-hmm. dollar General on it. And then so I'm going for it and there's the orphanage. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I've always wanted to watch this movie. So I got it for $3 and Woo-hoo. I watched it and I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved it. And so I think this time watching it was like my fifth and sixth time. And yeah, I loved it. So um, when I saw it, it was streaming on Hulu, I was like, Katie. I know what we're doing. Like, I was like, I don't even have to think about it. Like, we're, I know we're doing the orphanage. So, I was really excited. Um, 
So I didn't know if you had any kind of remarks before we kind of dived in a little bit about things. So, um, I had kind of an opposite reaction to this movie. Okay. Which I, I was with it for the first 40 minutes and then it took a turn and I literally said out loud to Gizmo as I was watching it. I hate this. 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 I hate the ending with a passion, but we'll get into that when we get to spoilers. Um, I, I will say, I will say without spoiling, the first time I uh, saw the ending, I think I was so shocked I didn't react, and then every time since the first time I've cried. Again, I I like a lot of things about this movie. I think the yeah. visuals are really cool. Um, obviously yeah. Guillermo del Toro produced it, so he's not gonna produce something that has shitty visual visuals. Um, I think the visuals are really cool. I think. The acting's really strong. Yes. Um, and especially, like, the child actors, which is always hard. It's always a hit or miss. Um, I, I think it's a very interesting concept, but it's also, and we'll get into this when we get to the ending, it's very reminiscent of another movie. Now, I will say the original script for this movie was written in, like, 1995. Which, again, like, it's, it might just be a coincidence, but it's 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 creepy, it's atmospheric and it's a it's a ghost story, and if you like ghost stories, I think um, you will like it because I yeah. like the beginning. I liked the beginning a lot. I just like at some point it just lost me and I was pissed. So which I felt terrible because I was like, I know you love this movie, and I was like, no, like I don't mind hating a movie if neither one of us have seen it and there's no precedent. But, like, yeah. when it's one of our favorite ones. I think this one does have Changeling vibes. I do think yes. the Changeling is scarier. I don't think this movie's scary. I can agree with that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Which I will admit now, I am one of those people that I appreciate movies that are atmospheric. I don't like jump scares. I think this one maybe had yeah. two. In yeah, it, it had um, very little, if any. Yeah, and I I like that in a movie. I don't I I rather something get under my skin and like bother me or make me anxious mm-hmm. versus something jumping out and making a noise at me. I don't like that in movies. Yeah, um, it's a cheap cheap trick. Yeah, and I guess we'll we'll hop right into it that this movie was directed by J. A. Bayona, who's a mm-hmm. Spanish film director, and I didn't know this until reading about him, but he directed The Impossible, um, which, to give you guys a little bit of a backstory about The Impossible, it's, um, it's a Naomi Watts, uh, Ian McGregor movie, Tom Holland's kind of movie that put him on the map, it kind of was the first movie that people started noticing Tom Holland, um, it's about the 2004 S- uh, Sasami, and when I saw that movie in theaters, because I, um, there was a lot of Oscar buds that, you know, that Naomi mm-hmm. Watts was gonna be nominated, I fucking cried so hard during this movie. I gave myself a splitting headache. Isn't it based on a true story too? Yes. It's based on like a a family that was like on vacation or something and they got Mm -hmm. stranded during the tsunami. Um, Which if you weren't alive during the 2004 tsunami, it was fucked up. It was so fucking scary. Um, It was, it was devastating. Um, It was one of those national disasters or natural disasters that just the whole world just kind of stopped. And yeah. was like, what the fuck is happening? Um, he also uh, directed uh, the first two episodes of Penny Dreadful, which is a really good, creepy, Victorian, um, kind of universal monster mash of a, of a TV series. 
Um, and he directed the one that literally scared the shit out of me called Seance, which is the second episode. So, like, he's really good at scary stuff. And he's going to direct the first two episodes of the new Lord of the Rings TV series, I think, too. Yes. So, he starts uh, out TV series strong. Yes. And he also directed A Monster Calls, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard mixed I've heard reviews. But I, I I have heard it's a tearjerker. So, I think, like, the, the tearjerking is, like, a, a, a trademark of his, in my personal opinion. Um, he also directed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which I, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of, like, when I was watching... Um, the orphanage. I was like, is there anything in this that reminds me of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Like, any kind of... And I I didn't see it, so... Which I didn't hear anything uh, good about that one. I heard it got real messy, and I did not see it. I loved the first one, honestly. I thought I was going to hate it, and I loved it. Yeah, and that's where I was like, okay. Um, interesting enough, this was written by Sergio G. Sanchez, um, who also wrote The Impossible. So mm-hmm. he wrote the impossible and uh, the orphanage and then J.A. Bayona directed it. So I was like, Oh mm-hmm. my God. So like, they like to make people cry or at least me. Yeah. Um, and he won, it? he won the 2008 Goya award for best screenplay yes. or he was nominated. I'm sorry. He didn't win it yeah. for this movie for the orphanage. Yeah. And the Goya award uh, for our friends who don't know, um, that is like the annual um, uh, film awards in Spain. And it's kind of like their version of the Academy Awards. So it's a very Mm -hmm. big deal. Um, And this movie was nominated for a shit ton of Goya awards. So yeah, yeah, which is really, really cool. Um, and of course, as we all know, this was produced by uh, Bayano's good friend, Mr. Guillermo del Toro. So <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. I always want to butcher his name. Um, del Toro. I always Totoro san, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Totoro san. Guillermo. Yes. Um, so I will say um, just a little bit about the screenplay. So this was like heavily, um, like I said before. Uh, it had been written in, like, the mid-90s, um, and it took a while um, for him to get the funding he wanted. When Del Toro got involved with the project, they were able to double their budget um, and get a bigger cast and crew. And I thought it was kind of cool because he um, was largely inspired by literary influences Peter Pan and Aww. The Turn of the Screw. And um, seeing it, I was like, and now knowing about The Turn of the Screw, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like, you can definitely see a lot of The Turn of the Screw in here. Um, Bayona, also the director, always wanted Belen uh, Rida in the lead. So, I mean, she, I mean, and she is phenomenal in this role. Like, she's really the heart of this movie. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, her performance, I think, is one of the reasons that this movie kind of sold. Like, it was sold to me. Um, yeah, she's great. So, yeah. Oh, so good. And, and then, she won the Goya Award for this, too. So. Oh, good for her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also, like, for, well, I was going to say, um, for anybody who knows anything about movies, uh, Charlie Chaplin's daughter, Geraldine Chaplin, um, plays a medium in this movie named Aurora. Um, and she's Charlie Chaplin and Una O'Neill's daughter. And she's mm-hmm. the mother of Una Chaplin from Game of Thrones, who plays Talisa. Talisa's. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, who, oh, well, we all agree that her character was a downfall of. Rob Stark, but she did a damn good job in that movie, and she was a nice lady. Um, but also, uh, Geraldine Chaplin was in Doctor Zhivago, the movie Chaplin, where I think she played one of her relatives. And I didn't know she was in Diary of a Nymphomaniac. She's some part in that, but she does a lot of French and Spanish cinema. Mm-hmm. So I found it just like you know, I think of 
them more of a British American family. And I was like, oh, but I think a lot of her, their family moved to Europe too. And so I found that really cool that I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't even know, like, she was in this movie until afterwards. But apparently she was, like, a big name that they got. I think it helped move the, the picture along getting made to get her signed on as well. Yeah, and they really, really wanted her because I guess, and I need to research this movie more, but supposedly she was, like, in, like, some classic Spanish horror movies. Um, and so they were like, oh, she's, like, a classic actress. And, like, wouldn't mm-hmm. it be nice to get this name involved? So, like you said, so, but I thought it was cool that they were like, she has this vibe. And they really wanted the vibe that she kind of brought. Um, and you probably already know this, but there's a scene in the movie which I didn't know um, and I was reading some factoids, and I caught it when I watched it again for my second viewing for the podcast, where um, Bayona wanted to break the ice, and so he grabbed her leg. <laughs> and you see her reaction in the yeah. scene where her leg gets grabbed. So um, I thought that was really cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we have her, um, Belen Rieda uh, as Laura, who's the lead in this movie. Um, she actually kind of became known to American audiences when she played Julia in The Sea Inside. Um, that actually won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, I believe, in 2004. Um, and so, yeah, she's phenomenal. She won the Goya Award for that. Um, we have Fernando Cayo as Carlos. That's Laura's husband. So, I talked about this movie on the podcast before, but he I know him from, uh, he played Jamie, the dad, and one of the most messed up movies I've ever seen called Kidnapped. Um, mm. Our very sweet friend, Jonathan, who is like, very good salt to earth was like oh you need to watch this movie kidnap and it was just royally fucked up and i was like how did you recommend this movie to me so (laughs) i enjoyed the experience but i probably won't watch it again because i was so emptied by the end of it so but that's Mm. why i recognized him from so interesting Mm -hmm. um we have roger principe as simon who's uh, Laura and Carlos's son. I didn't have a lot of information on him, Katie. I don't know if you found anything different. I didn't really. Um, yeah. But also, I think uh, most of these actors, other than Geraldine Chaplin, haven't done a lot of American cinema. So, like, mm-hmm. they're very big in Europe, but it's not movies that I've... Like, there were movies listed, but I was unfamiliar with them. So, Mabel Rivera is Pilar, who's the head Mabel. police uh, psychologist. I know, that's why I was like, Mabel! Mabel! Uh, neighbors! So, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's her name's Mabel! Um, But <laughs> she was also in The Sea Inside, which she had a leading actress role in that movie. So, I mean, that kind of gave her a lot of, um, uh, you know, American, I guess, across-the-board attention. Um, so... I feel bad. I can't read my own damn handwriting. Montserrat Carlua uh, was uh, Beniga Escobar. Uh, so she, mm-hmm. I was looking her up, and uh, she was a theater, film, and TV actress. So she did across-the-board work. Um, cool. And then, of course, we had Edgar Vidar as Professor Leo uh, Balaman. Um, so it seems like he was in a few different TV shows. And last but not least, Oscar Lalas as Tomas. Um so that kind of gives a rundown. Uh, most of the characters that at some point in this movie play a part that's very essential to the story. So, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. And I think, yeah. It's a good cast. Everyone's really, um, really strong in it. Um, there wasn't really any weak part parts performance-wise in this movie. So, I really liked it. Yeah. I liked part of it. And then I hated it. So... <laughs> 
Yes, I'm sorry. I don't know. You're good. Get that you're reaction. good. You're good. You're good. We we will get we will get to the end of the movie. So I I get it completely. I've realized that um a lot of synopsises for this movie give away um something um something that's very large that happens in the movie, but happens I would say a good twenty five thirty minutes into the film, and I didn't want to include that event. So here goes. Um. The orphanage. Um, so when Laura decides to fix up the orphanage that she grew up in and turn it into a home for disabled children, she brings along her husband, Carlos, and her young son, Simone. What starts as an idyllic dream soon turns into a nightmare as bumps are heard in the night and Simone starts speaking to other children, only he can see. Children, he says, will never grow up. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Dun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I will say, like, like I said, it's very atmospheric. It's a very good ghost story. Um, but mm, I hate the ending. But you may not feel the same way I do, and that's okay. Like, obviously, Brittany feels differently than I do, and that's fine. Like, yes, it's not a movie I'm gonna want to turn on and be like, mm, enjoyable. Like, not one of those movies. But it is really cute in some ways. That's the other thing about this movie. I find there are parts of it that are kind of adorable and cute. And, like, like there's, like, a part where there's a prowler on the property, but they, they have this, like, very funny music that almost reminds me of a Studio Ghibli movie, where it's like, yeah. do, 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 and it's like, what? Because it's not a very threatening prowler. We'll just put it that way. Um, but it's kind of silly, and then there's, like, a whole sequence where, like, um, the mom and the son are playing a game. And it's, like, very, like, whimsical. So, it, whimsical, that's the word I'm thinking of. Like, like there's some whimsical stuff in this in the beginning. And then it gets really dark. Um, so, I, I won't say it's, like, as dark as, like, the Changeling was the whole time. Um, so, it's very lighthearted at the beginning. And then it gets real dark. So, um, maybe that's, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, but yeah, it's it's got some interesting stuff. Yeah. I would agree with that. Absolutely. So I guess I guess I we should we should begin. Just uh, begin. give a brief run. We'll give a brief rundown of events in the film and then as if we see fit to elaborate, we'll just elaborate um a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so we open up um it is I guess a we'll scene. say spoilers if you Spoilers. If you... Absolutely. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm in, I'm I'm in sorry. Spoilers if you Thank haven't you. seen the movie yet. Um, yeah. Look away. Yes. Stick yes. To the if end. you do not want to be spoiled, please, please, please turn off us right now. Go get Hulu or Amazon Prime and go watch the damn movie and then come back and meet us here again. And we're going to go in three, two, one. Spoiler alert. So... Um, Um, but, uh, it opens up, um, there's this beautiful shot, um, it's just like these children are playing outside and they're playing this game like, uh, one, two, three, knock on the wood. And then every time the child knocks, the children get closer. So it's like a game of tag, but it's almost like a suspenseful game of tag that they have to wait until Mm -hmm. like she keeps doing it before they can uh, play with her. And so there's this, these beautiful little children, and we see a few of them have, like, disabilities. Like, one child is blind, another child um, has, like, some kind of headgear on and a leg brace. And the one child um, who's knocking on the wood, um, the headmistress gets a call that she's going to be adopted. And so, you know, she's basically like, Laura, your friends are going to miss you. 
And so we flash mm-hmm. forward to the future. Laura has grown up and she's moved back to this orphanage she grew up in where her husband Carlos is a doctor and her son Simone. And um, obviously Simone is, uh, he's supposed to be like six and he gets scared mm-hmm. um, in the night and she tells him the lighthouse shines an invisible light because the lighthouse hasn't worked in years. But when she, Laura was a child, the lighthouse used to work. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And she's we, like, it protects us or something. Yeah. It's really cute. It's very, very sweet. And you view, I love it because very quickly you get this established relationship that she's very, very close with her son. Like she loves her mm-hmm. son. Um, and that, that driving force, that love is what like drives everything in this movie. Um, so we find out that they're fixing up this orphanage um, and Laura's under a lot of stress because of it. There's a lot of like handiwork that's going into fixing things up. And we also notice that Simon is sick in some way because he has to take some kind of medication. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's um, very chill. They're just like, oh, don't forget to take your pill. But he's he's very used to it. Yeah, like, he's a very happy child. Like, he's very, he has some imaginary friends um, that, you know, forgets to uh, come in for the window at night. But other than that, he's very normal, uh, very sweet, very happy. Um, so while they're exploring the caves near the orphanage, um, Simone is, uh, finds something that he's talking to. And he ends up, so Laura's like, is that one of your friends? And he's like, no, it's another little boy. And he offers uh, for the other little boy, he's like, is, he, is it okay if he comes back to his house? And Laura's like, sure. So, um, so yeah, he leaves these shells for the other little boy to come back to the house. It's so, so Yes. Would you like to take over a bit? I feel like I'm talking a lot. Um, so basically there's a social worker that shows up at the house while it's raining and she's like an older lady. She's got these very big glasses, like very, um, like thick, like almost like fashionista kind of fit thick glasses nowadays, maybe back in 2007, they were not as fashionable. Um, and she says, my name is Benigna Escobita and I'm a social worker. And, um, Laura's like, oh, well, we haven't started any interviews for the orphanage yet, but, um, I'm so sorry you drove all the way out here. She's like, oh no, I'm about, I'm here for Simone. And he's like, she's like, oh, okay. Why? Cause she's like, why are you here? But she lets her in cause it's raining. And, um, the lady's like, oh, well I got his file and she has his file. And, um, she starts talking about, like, oh, well, we thought we should check up on him since you guys just moved here. It looks like he was adopted and he's HIV positive. And so we want to make sure you had all the help you needed. And she's like, well, um, he doesn't know that he's adopted and he doesn't know he's HIV positive because the kid's six. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you would breach that subject. Adoption, I think, is easier to understand than being, you know ill and like having an illness that especially in 2007 had no cure um but had a treatment like it would it's hard to explain that to a six-year-old so um you know she's like we're gonna explain it to him when he's a little older uh which you know that's i've you know i don't have any kids and i don't i i don't know how you breach such tough subjects with a child um, but, you know, so she's like, thank you, but no thank you, we're good. And, um, the lady leaves his file with her, or I guess, does she, I think maybe Laura asks her for it. And Laura yeah, locks she, it. Good. Yeah. No, no, yeah, I think it's like she hands the file for Laura to read over, and she's like, this is old news, I already know everything in yeah. this file, she's but like, she never yeah. hands it back. Uh, oh, yeah. that was the other thing, it's an older file, so it's like, mm. Yeah. 
Kind of like in Star Wars when they go, like, it's an older code, but it checks out. I was going to let them through. And Darth Vader's like, hmm, I sent Skywalker on this. Yeah. Um, Imperial um, ship. Anyways, sorry. No, you're good. It's great. Anyways, so um, she has this drawer in the kitchen, and she locks it up with a key. And um, because she's like, I don't want him to, like, see this, you know, before he's ready, blah, blah, blah. So Simone and her have gone to the beach. So he says Tomas wants to play a game. And it's a hide-and-seek game. And he has a special treasure box. And something's missing. These coins are missing from the treasure box. He's like, we have to play the game to find the the coins. And the mom's like, what's the game? He's like, they're going to leave us clues. So, like, it's like, it's kind of cute. Because it's like, so if a certain thing... You know, it starts off with one thing's missing. You have to find it with the clue. And then you have... It's like... It's basically like a scavenger hunt. But one clue leads to the other. I don't... You know. So, like, the candy bar wrapper leads to roses. Which leads to a doorknob. Which leads to a key. And blah, blah, blah. And, um... It does come back in the end of the movie. Because, like... He says, oh, this is... These are different treasures I have in my treasure box. And she has to use those to find a different scavenger hunt later on in yeah. the movie, which I thought was a cool callback. Um, so they go through this whole thing. They're running all the way around the house. It's raining and it's crazy. And they're like, oh, wait, was it was it raining the first time or the second time? Yeah. So, yeah. And what I love about this sequence, too, is so, like, what you're, you describe, it's, like, very, very whimsical. But mm-hmm. then, like, you get this realization with Laura that there is no way your six-year-old child thought all these clues out. Right. And so it goes from, like, whimsical to ominous. And yeah. I love that because it's, mm-hmm. like, that kind of, like, it's, like, kind of when you lock a door and you go back and the door's unlocked and you know you weren't the one to do it. She's, like, at first she's, like, she's in it. And then when the key gets pulled out, that's when she's, like, yeah, what the fuck? So they end up in the in the, her drawer, and before she can do anything, he opens the drawer, and he gets out his folder, and she's like, no, no, no. He's like, oh, I already know what the drawer says. Tomas told me. And she's like, what? And he's like, he said that I'm going to die soon, and also that, I'm a do- that you're not my real mother. And so th- they set him down, and they have a very, I thought, very honest conversation with their child. They're like, ask yeah. us any questions, you know. And, you know, they tell him that he was adopted. And then they're like, he's like, what will happen if I don't take my medicine? They're like, well, nothing will happen immediately, but you will get sick if you don't take your medicine. So we need you to take your medicine. And so, I mean, they handle it, I think, the best way you possibly can. But she's feeling like a bad parent because she's like, should I have told him earlier? I hate how he found out this way. It's just, like, not an ideal situation. So, I mean, they're trying. Um, And they're getting really close to opening their school up. And, um, I think the next big sequence is they do open the school up and they're having like, like a get to know you student party and it's like a beautiful day and they're having like a picnic outside. I did think it was a little weird. They had these really creepy masks for all the kids to try on. Like they looked ominous. Um, but I guess that's because there's one character that has like a flower sack over his head and he's wearing a uniform very similar I guess he or she, because we don't really know who they are. Um, he or she is, like, wearing the uniform that Laura wore as a child when she lived at the orphanage. And they're just kind of standing in the middle of, like, the party, not really doing anything. 
And it's like, oh, that's creepy. And Laura goes up to get Simone to come downstairs. She's like, hey, you want to come downstairs? Oh, we got to meet all our new friends. And he's just like, he just starts like kind of like talking back to her. He wants to play a game. He wants to show her Tomas's secret house. And um, she's like, we can't do that. Can we do that tomorrow, please? And he's like, no, I want to show it to you now. And she's like, no, you can't. And then he screams at her and yells at her and starts acting like a brat. And then she slaps him. And then immediately she feels like a shitbag for doing it. Like, visibly, she's like, oh, shit. And she's like, you know, if you don't want to come downstairs, that's fine. And she's, like, feeling like a shitty parent. And, I mean, like, here's the thing. It's never okay to hit people, but we all have moments of weakness. And we're only human. It's not like she, like, it's not like she, like, flat out decked the kid. Like, she open hand slapped him because he was, he was, like, their tensions got high. Well, well, also, it's like, yeah, she's nervous. And then he also knocks, like, a complete cake out of her hand. Yes. When, like, he shoves her. So it's like, you can understand in that situation, too. Like you said, it's not like she... She's hitting her child. Is what it is. She's already so much under pressure, and she snaps in that moment. It's just a and reaction. she does instantly yeah. feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, even the best people can accidentally react in bad ways. And, you know, it's how you, you know, ideally we never do that. But, you know, sometimes we do, and that sucks. And we have to apologize. So she feels like shit, and she's like, but she knows that, the other thing is, like, she knows she can't deal with it this moment. So she goes back down to the party and then she goes to check on him, and she sees the flower sack kid, by the way, um, and she can't find him, and she's looking for him, and she sees the little the child in the flower sack mask, and she's like, Simone? Is that you? And they, they like, come really close to her, and then they push her into the bathtub and, like, slam the door on her fingers, like, so bad it gets really injured. And, um, they have to take the door off the hinges to get her out of the bathroom. And so then she's like, Simone is missing. And so it very quickly, like, starts out, like, pretty normal. Like, hey, everyone's just kind of looking for him. And there are kids. But there's kids running around the house because it's a party with children. And, um, it just gets chaotic. And she gets more and more scared. And it tur- she ends up, um, going into, like, a closet and moving a bunch of stuff and just kind of leaving it. And she runs around, and she finally, like, runs out to the beach where they were at. And she thinks she sees Simone in a cave, and she runs so hard she, like, injures her leg. And she just keeps yeah. going until, like, they physically restrain her. And she ends up waking up in the hospital. And, um, by the way, the doctor that's attending to her is Guillermo del Toro in an uncredited guest spot. But you can't really see much of his face. So it's not like a, oh, hey, there's Guillermo del Toro. Um, but he is in the movie. Um, and they call in the psychologist and the police start looking for Simone. And, um, yeah, that's, this is kind of where the movie takes a turn because all of a sudden it's like, oh no, my child's lost. Yeah. And it's, and it's like really upsetting because, you know, it's like she, I mean, she's past the point of hysteria. Um, and so Mm -hmm. she, um, her her husband, I think it's in the next scene that they get home and she's in a wheelchair because her leg is injured. And yeah. he gives her his uh, grandmother's St. Anthony necklace, which I'm not Catholic, yeah. but St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost things. Of lost so things! Mm-hmm. It's my mom's, um, her favorite saint. And he yeah, helps I think me it's find my things. mom's too. He helps me find things all the time. 
if if you can't find it after asking St. Anthony, um, it's probably actually lost. Like, yeah. or someone took it. Like, honestly. But, I mean, it is, like, it's very nice and symbolic. And I was like, oh, St. Anthony! Yay! Yeah. And it's really sweet. So, because he's like, you know, this is my grandmother's. It means a lot to me. But she, she mm-hmm. wears it. Um, and that same night, she hears a crash in the house. And, of course, it terrifies mm-hmm. her because she doesn't... She's like, oh, my God, you know someone in the house. Well, um, there's no one in the house. And so it cuts to it's six bad. months later, Simone is still missing. Um, and so they start attending this, like, bereavement group. And Laura's just not convinced that he's dead. She's like, I'm not giving up. Like, I know he's yeah. not dead. Yeah. And so after this scene, this is one of the only kind of jump scare scenes. So they see uh, Beniga afterwards. And uh, so it's like basically, yeah. they're, they're yes, they're at a, a stop sign. And she sees Beniga, and it turns green, but she steps out of the car because she, like, she has this fear because, uh, we, we accidentally skipped this, but they found, ben- but Katie references, they find Beniga in the shed in their backyard, and she has a shovel. Yeah. So she thinks somehow that Beniga is involved in Simone's disappearance, and as Beniga turns to look at Laura, she's sm- hit by a car. Smashed and, um, by a car. Yeah, smashed yeah. by a car. Um, and she goes to see, there's, and you know, Laura's so hysterical. Uh, she goes to see the baby carriage. Oh, and her husband's a doctor too. So he goes to help. Yeah. He goes to help. She runs towards the baby carriage and there's a doll inside with a sack over its head. Um, and she goes back and Carlos is like, she's gone. And she goes to touch the body and it's like the face rises up and like half the face is missing. And it's really scary. It's probably the best part. Yeah. It kind of feels like out of a. It's kind of the graphicness of that scene feels out of place, though, with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, I was like, dang. Mm-hmm. And apparently the producers begged the director to not kill off that character, but I thought it was great. I was like, because yeah. that's another dead end. Because she's like, oh, because she tells the psychologist from day one, like, hey, this lady was at my house. And then she finds out through this, the psychologist, she's like, oh, she's not. Um, she wasn't a, um, a social worker, at least not currently. She used to work at the orphanage and she had a Mm. son, Tomas, and he was physically disfigured. And so he wore that sack over his head and he wasn't really around the other children very often, which is why you probably don't remember him. And she wasn't there for very long, but he tragically, it was very Tom Riddle of what happened to him. They, the other kids were teasing him and got him to go in the sea cave and then the tide rose, and he tragically drowned. It was very sad. Don't play in sea caves, children. Ever. Yeah. Or adults. Like, there's always, like, some terrible story about someone went into a sea cave, and the tide rose, and it's terrible. So just don't, don't play around with the sea, y'all. Um, and so he, um, yeah, so he, he tragically died, and the children were never arrested, obviously, because they're children. And it seems like it was probably, like, not nice of them, but I don't think they were trying to kill him. Um, yeah, it's probably like they were curious about his disfigurement, but he was so horrified because he was made to feel like he should be horrified that he just didn't come out. So it was like a prank that went terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah, it was very sad. And so it seems like, you know, it's that's like really sad. And like the husband's starting to get fed up, not fed up, but he's starting to get like, it's just emotionally so much for him to stay in this house. And he starts talking about like, Hey, maybe we just need to move back. And before they really have a discussion, she goes into a, like a psychology 
lecture or a, a sorry paranormal psychology lecture and this mm-hmm. paranormal psychologist guy um is like hey i know this lady aurora and i really trust her and maybe she can help find your son and that's geraldine chaplin's character and yeah. they basically have like a it's not a seance so much as like a hypnosis session where she um they set up all these cameras and they um uh she, she's it's very creepy she's very ghost hunters international um she sets in a room with the doll and um they kind of count backwards from 10 and she kind of has a vision that they're all watching her walk through this room and she goes she goes like three rooms down the hall and the husband and the psychologist Pilar are kind of both like this is bullshit but Laura is like hey like shot in the dark like I want to find my son he's not dead I have to find him and um Geraldine's uh, chaplain's character is pretty like nice like she's yeah. like yeah come on come on over psychologist like she doesn't care she's not like she doesn't seem very shystery she seems very matter yeah. of fact um but anyways so she ends up going into a room and she says that she sees a bunch of children and that they're in pain and they're sick and they're dying and um then all the cameras start going out and so they call her back and they count backwards from 10 again and you never see her walk back to the chair but all of a sudden when they turn the lights back on she's just sitting in the chair like she was at the beginning like she never got up and walked around which i thought was creepy and weird um but basically she says like i saw a bunch of children and simone was not with them um but it seemed like they were dying and at this point the husband's just like this is ridiculous they're obviously trying to take advantage of you but they're not asking for money or anything yeah exactly and she says something that like if she said something that really stood out to me too is that so she's talking to laura and she's talking about simone not being there and you know she pulls up her um her sleeve of her shirt and it seems like maybe she was like a smallpox survivor and she's like you know we who are closer to death are more receptive of these messages and laura's like you mean my son could see those children because and she trails off and carlos is like we have no like this is this is done and so laura gets mad because pilar says something she's like this is giving me more than the police have in six months six months and um and so, you know, Aurora leaves because Carlos wants her and to leave. Pilar leaves. I, yeah. I like what go. she says as she's parting. Aurora says that it's not that seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. Which yeah, it's the other way movie. around. I was like, oh, it's the other way around. I was like, because <laughs> if you believe in something, yes. you'll see it. Like, you know, St. Anthony finding stuff. Maybe it's just a And that's what is funny also. So. No, definitely. And it's funny also because at this point, Taylor goes, they said on the Santa Claus too, which I was like, you're right, they did. Taylor, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that part of the Santa Claus, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Taylor. Taylor, I was like, thanks for some for some humor. Um, I mean, maybe so, they stole from it. The Santa Claus was like the 90s. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, oh we like no. that. Um, so Laura and Carlos argue again about leaving the house because Carlos is like, this is not healthy. And Carlos even says, like, you know, other couples have gotten for losing a child before. And yeah. Laura's just, like, so consumed, like, with the idea of just even seeing Simone again. She's like, I just want to see him. I just want to see him. And so the next day, she's, like, she's receptive to, like, the ideas of these spirits. And she's like, 
show me I'm not scared and a window suddenly busts behind her and when it does it lands all over the seat and she scrapes away the glass and then under the seat she finds the dolls that were her friend's dolls and she knows this her doll from her childhood's missing mm -hmm. which leads off to a treasure hunt mm -hmm. like that we saw earlier in the movie um, but leads her to the backyard um, and the shed in the backyard mm -hmm. um, which leads her to a furnace in the shed which leads her to finding the bones of all of her friends <laughs> yeah and you're like yeah. so I guess what we're supposed to infer with this is that the children were murdered yes. by Benigna in retribution for them killing accidentally killing her child yes. which is probably why the orphanage shut down but that's the only plot hole I've fought in the system. They don't really the explain thing... it, yeah. Yeah, because we see the headmistress that's talking about Laura at the beginning. I'm like, wouldn't the headmistress... Okay, so even if the children were murdered, and that was why... But how would the bodies have ended up in the furnace and burned? Like, you'd think if nothing else, if the children went missing, someone would have... I mean, granted, they are orphans, yes. But you'd think even the headmistress, who seemed to care genuinely for the children, would, like report them missing or something maybe that's the only thing well i don't know if they were missing or if she just poisoned them and made them sick but i don't know why they would have hid the bodies if they just died and they thought they just got sick and died yeah, yeah it's kind of weird it's very weird it's it's very weird i mean she doesn't see simone so that's good but yeah. um the husband's like i have to go i cannot yeah this is too much and <laughs> i i Here's the thing. I definitely feel like this is kind of like Saint Maud. The husband is trying to process grief healthily. Laura is refusing to process grief healthily, which is why the ending is probably so sad. This is a tale of someone who does not know how to process grief and refuses to accept the truth. And it's very sad because this does happen to people when their children disappear or die. But personally, I think your children would want you to live on and honor their memory. Um, so, I don't know. I think probably some people could be in the camp of, well, she's not giving up on her child. And I don't think you should give up on your child. But I think yeah. going on and honoring your child or your sibling or your family member is such a better use of their memory than what happens at the end of this movie. Um, which is probably why I hate the end of this movie. But the setup's yeah. cool. Yeah, and I actually, I really like this part. So she, Carlos and her have another blowout, and she's like, you know, just give me two days. Two days to just say goodbye. So many memories here. And so he leaves. He relents. Which is and weird, because they he... literally only lived there for like six months before. Yeah. disappeared so i, I guess like, like maybe Ooh. i i wonder how like often she lived there as like how long she lived there as a child um but yeah, this was maybe. A, yeah that's the one thing i could think of um but he leaves and she's painstakingly replicates every detail from her childhood and mm -hmm. i love this because my mom's favorite movie one of my mom's favorite movies is somewhere in time and um, just a minor kind of detail about somewhere in time is the guy wants to travel back in time. And to do that, he replicates every detail from the year he wants to go to. Like, he dresses in the clothes. He makes sure there's nothing of, like, the present time in the room. And it really kind of reminded me of that. Like, she is doing her best to kind of do what, I guess, Aurora did and just essentially put herself back there. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so she has this, like, she has a table set with all the her friends' dolls, and she has the blackberries, and she's wearing this school teacher's, like, uniform, and all the old beds are put together, and she, like, she gets so frustrated because she's like, what do you want from me? And then it just clicks. It's like, oh, you want to play. Like, they want to play. Mm-hmm. And so um, she uh, goes to a dark room, and she does the one, two, three, knock on the wood, or three, two, one, knock on the wood. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw this scene, I keep in mind I had no fucking earthly idea what was going to happen, and I felt like I was going to throw up. Like it scared me so bad. I I don't I don't I think it was just the tension because the way they do it is like she gets more desperate, so she does it like two times, does it a third time, and you hear just a noise, and you turn the camera pans mm-hmm. turns around, the door is opening, and she's like, okay, so she gets a little hopeful and she does it again turns around there's one and the camera pants and she turns around there's like five of them like what the fuck and um i think the first time i watched this i didn't really understood the idea that the children were not malevolent like i didn't understand they weren't bad yeah yeah i think until you see the movie all the way through it's very up in the air if the children did something to simone or if it's just a coincidence yeah and so but they 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 tag her and they all scurry off, and she mm-hmm. follows one of the girls, and they lead her to the closet. And I didn't know if you wanted to take over a little bit here. Yes, so... <laughs> you guess the part that I hate. So, yeah. this is why I hate this movie. I hate the ending. I don't hate this movie. Um, so, she moves a bunch of stuff, and she starts realizing that the wall has been papered over, and there is a space for a doorknob that she found... Yeah. Along, when she got interrupted um, during a game of treasure hunt. So um, she peels away the wallpaper, puts in the doorknob, and she opens this door that's like in the in the closet. Which, this is the other big loophole. If they were so thorough looking for him, did they not check the blueprints? I guess not. Yeah. Because they have the blueprints when they are doing the seance thing. The paranormal thing. Because he's, he's following the map to chart where the woman's walking through. Yeah, so I didn't think about that's that. That's a big plot hole that they didn't know that this room existed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, okay. But, you know, okay, okay. So they didn't know the room was there. Um, and, you know, the believing is seeing. She goes down and it's like this... Um, this basement basically and there's part of the steps are kind of broken and she um sees simone asleep in a blanket he's like oh mom you finally found me and she's like oh my god you're so cold oh it's gonna be okay and um she's holding him she's like now pretend pretend that we're back home because she's seeing all the children surrounding her and she's like no pretend we're back home and we got to get out of here and she I guess she walks out of the basement and she's alone again and she looks down at Simone and it's just a blanket. Or I guess she, no, she's still in the basement. Um, and she looks out the floor and there's a little shriveled up Simone corpse. Yeah. Because, and then this is the part that I started saying, I hate this. Because they kind of blame his entire death on her. And I'm like, that's not fucking fair. So she doesn't know about the stupid closet room. Yeah. And they flash back to her 
moving. So basically, when she moved the stuff around in the closet, it kept him from being able to open the door. And the crash yeah. that she heard was him falling through the stairs trying to get out desperately. Yeah. So basically, they blame her kid's death on her, which I thought was a really weak bullshit thing to do. And that's I don't why I feel screaming. that I way. This. I don't feel that way. Like, I, I feel like the way I felt, it was like a total and complete accident. And it wasn't, the devastation wasn't that, like, it was an accident that he died. The devastation was is that he was there the whole time. And they mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't know. Like, they, I think that was the devastation mm-hmm. is that he was right under her nose and they had no idea. Um, again, they had blueprints, so why didn't they check that room? Yeah, and that's where I, I, I know what you're talking about, the blueprints, and it doesn't show it in the blueprints that you're talking about. I know what you're talking well, about. Well, it's just so, the top floor. Yeah, yeah. I don't know so if that I'm was, like, like a crudely drawn map, too. Like, if it was Aurora's assistant that drew that map, too, and maybe it was just his walk through the house. But wouldn't yeah. you have blueprints for a house like that? Why would, what would the purpose be of an orphanage in the 60s in yeah. Spain? Why would it have a secret basement? Is that a common and, thing in Spanish homes? It may I don't be. Know. And that's the thing. I don't know either. But I'm thinking, like, if this orphanage has been closed for years, she bought it as is, too. So maybe they didn't know everything. It just seems like a big, huge pothole. Huge yeah. pothole that they just didn't know about this basement. They yeah. had to know about the basement. It was huge, too. It wasn't like it was a tiny basement, either. Like, there was, like, a bunch of space. Yeah. So... Well, the children definitely didn't know about the basement. So I do understand that you're saying as an adult, like, how would Laura not know about the basement? But we do know the children did because that's obviously where they hid Tomas away, too. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. She sees all, all Tomas's little drawings because you have see an old video of him, like, drawing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of... I don't think they need to show his face. I thought it was kind of a little Phantom of the Opera to be yeah. like, oh, look at this deformed child's face. Also, he doesn't look like he has, like, a... Like, a facial deformity, like, like that he was born with. It looks more like he was, like, burned or something. Yeah. That's hurt. really what it looks more like. And yeah. And he really looks like little junior Phantom of the Opera. So, it was good makeup, but I thought it was really s- stupid to make a child look scary. Yeah. Like I, like, I was like, that's not fair. It's not his fault. Like, I agree. Like, just made it better. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I felt like there was, I, I guess it... I will say this. I guess the one thing is maybe they could have really um, cast the actor, a child actor, with some kind of facial deformity. But I don't know if, like, maybe that would be, like, inappropriate. I guess exploiting. Like, it's one thing, I think, when you're an adult. Yeah, when you're an adult actor. And it's another thing when you're, like, a child actor. And, like, you know your parents. I would have just rather they just not shown his real face. Because it felt like a scary moment. And I was like, it's a kid. Yeah, I think it would have made more sense. And I know we're going to come up on this. That they maybe just showed the back of his head or something. Yeah, and they do. And then they're like, boo! And I'm like, it's a kid. It didn't... Yeah. Like, I was like, the makeup job's really good. But again, like, I just think being scared of someone having a facial deformity is a cheap shot. And And I don't think... Yeah. I don't think it was meant... Yeah. In that. I just think it was a bad decision on their part to be like, yeah, let's scare everyone with this. Maybe the producers said it. I don't know. And I think Um, what it is also is that when you see Laura watching these videos, I think there's like a sense of sadness. Like, I don't think there's like, I don't think any adult is scared of Tomas. I think it was like they were afraid the children were going to be scared of Tomas, but even the children weren't scared of Tomas. They were just curious about him. Yeah. Which, I mean, most, I mean, there are asshole kids, Mm -hmm. but I think most even most children 
if they're not an asshole and they see somebody who is differently abled, you know, they're going to ask questions more than anything else. Like, most kids, most kids, unless they're being egged on by a bad person, their initial reaction is going to ask questions. And they might not be polite about it because they're kids. But, you know, and I think most people you know, would rather answer, have you ask questions than just be an asshole. Exactly. Um, you and know, I, about I, anything. I, yeah, I brought this up before that I had a friend who was born with an arm deformity. And when I met him, I was only like five or six years old. And I was just like, I was like, dude, I, well, I didn't say it like that. But I was like, basically, what's ha- what happened to your arm? And my parents were like horrified. They're like, Brittany. And her mom, his mom was like, you know, it's okay. You know, it was like he... And she basically told me he laid in my tummy wrong when I when I was gonna have him, and it caused his arm not to develop right. And um, but it's okay; he can use it completely normal. He did. He like could throw a ball and everything. It's like he he was a normal yeah. kid. His just arm would look different. And like I think if you normalize asking questions, it's so much better. And I, I and as adults, I mean, like we don't want to offend people. I get that, but I think most people we're all different. Whether yeah. we're different because we have a health issue, or we we're short, or we're tall, or we're a different skin tone than another person, everyone is different. Nobody is the same unless you're an identical twin, and it, we're all going to ask questions. And I think it's normal to ask questions. I think there's a time and a place to ask questions as an adult, but I think sometimes we discredit the fact that children are so innocent. Like, I've had a child ask me, like, I remember I used to, when I babysat kids, be like, that's so cool. That was always my response because I thought that's what kids would want to hear. And one little kid just, like, stared me straight in the face like, you say cool a lot. And it wasn't like she was trying to be rude. She was just like, this is an observance. I think children, for the most part, are innocent. And I think sometimes we try to, like, shush them because we don't want to be embarrassed by their questions because they're showing the truth. And I think that's a big thing. In the world. And I don't know how this movie fits into that, except that I think the children weren't trying to hurt Tomas. No. I think it was literally a fucking accident, and his mom completely overreacted. Yeah. Like, I was like, I... So, but, I mean, they never actually say that she killed the children. Yeah, it's like... I assume that's what happened. Yeah, it's heavily implied because it seems like she went back with the shovel to get them out of the furnace. Mm -hmm. Which, I don't know how a little old lady is going to move all those sacks of ashes. But she was determined. That's what she was there for. Um, Yeah. But um, Laura Laura climbs back up the stairs with um, little Simone's Simone's body. And um, she's talking to him. And she's like, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair. I found you. And... um, She's she's been routinely taking medicine. Um, like as she's even like setting things oh. up, she keeps taking yes. Oh, we forgot to say at the end of the game, you win a prize. Yes, you do a wish. You get a wish that comes true. We totally forgot that. That's very yeah. important to this. But yeah, she's been she's been having trouble sleeping, so she's been taking medicine. Yeah, she is, and she's been popping it a lot, and so she's been like she's just grieving and i don't i personally do not think that she knows what she's doing i think she's so devastated that it's just like she's doing it and so um as she takes this medication did you have something i'm so sorry no no you you finished this part i'm sorry yeah no you're good um so she's like i i wish for simone back and the lighthouse 
light turns on. And as we know from the beginning of the movie, the lighthouse hasn't been on since um, since she was a small child. And she looks out and she sees herself as a small child. And it really hit me like the third time I watched this movie that they, they're talking when she goes to meet the doctor. They're having a discussion on doppelangers and seeing the vision of yourself mm-hmm. before you die. And so mm-hmm. she sees herself and um, suddenly like the blanket, like little shoes stick out of the blanket and she pulls the blanket off and there's Simone. And he's like, he's like, can I wake up now? And she's like, oh my God. And he's like, I wish for you to stay here with us and take care of us. And then, and then all you, the ghost children come in and they go, it's Laura. Yeah, and they're all like, yay. I thought this was really touching actually, because it's like Tomas isn't wearing his sack over his head and he goes to the little girl that's that's blind and he takes her and he pulls her to Laura and she's able to fill on her face to see uh-huh. that's Laura. It's and cute. she's like, it's Laura. And they're like, Laura. And they're all like, you got so old. Excited. It's funny. Like Wendy in the story. So Yeah. Also, yeah. like, they do this whole thing too with Peter Pan because a lot of people have interpreted Peter Pan, which I do think, maybe it's been confirmed because I'm pretty sure when he, the guy that uh, tr- P- uh, was Jay and the Barry? Guy that wrote Barry Jack yeah wrote the story of Peter Pan because somebody's the kids that he was watching like their mom was dying yes. or something mm-hmm. so it was a whole thing about going to heaven and Peter's actually an angel and that's why he never ages because yeah. he's ushering children who die young to heaven so I'm like oh okay I get that symbolism that's cool um, and then also. I didn't notice this, but I read in the notes that when she sets up the beds to make the orphanage look like how it did when she was there, there's only six ghost children, five of her friends and then Tomas, but she sets up eight beds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they foreshadow it. Um, This is stupid, but I thought when she was... Okay, so earlier in the movie, she she mentions that she has all of her all of her son's baby teeth in a little um, bottle near her bed, and she can't find them at one point, and then she eventually finds them. Um, I thought she was eating his baby teeth and not taking sleeping pills the first time I saw it. Oh. I was like, oh, because she wants to be a part of him? I was very confused, because they were just tiny and white, yeah. and she was just kind of shoveling them in her mouth. I was like, is she eating his baby teeth? Because she was keeping them with her, like, to keep a part of him with her. I was like, what, is she going to become him? What's happening? And then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it's the sleeping pills. Yeah. Okay. No, I <laughs> so, wouldn't even have thought that. I was like, where is I didn't going? see, I don't think, because again, I've been watching my sick puppy. So like, I was like, I guess I must have looked away at the point where she was like taking the sleeping pill before going to bed the, the day before or taking whatever pill it was. Um, because when I watched it the second time, I was like, oh, she clearly takes, like, three pills before she starts this whole escapade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was just like, why is she dying? Because <laughs> I was very confused. Yeah, you're just like, so... what's going on? I... <laughs> oh, sorry. That's no, you're stupid. good, you're good. It, it, it makes total sense. I think the first time I watched this movie, I was just, like, shocked. I was like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. Um... So, yeah, but she uh, she has little Simone on her lap, and she the kids all gather around her, and she starts telling them the story, and it's colorful and beautiful, and um, everything fades out, and you see a memorial has been erected, and uh, Carl go- Carlos goes to the memorial and is dedicated to all the children that died as well as, um, as Laura and uh, Simone. Simone. And 
So he goes back in the house, and I, I love there's this, like, ambiguous kind of ending where, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he finds the St. Anthony medal, which yeah. she returned it to him because she found Simone, um, but then he looks up and he just smiles because the door's open. Which, does, is he dead too now? I didn't know if, like, Laura was, like, coming to him in a vision, that's what he's smiling of, or the door's, like, the door's open to let him know, like, it's okay, you can leave, everything's fine. Like, yeah. I didn't know. But again, like, I thought the ending would have been better if, like, she found him and then she created a home for the children. And she opened the home to all these children. Like, it would have been a great ending. I was like, why would you kill yourself when you... I just, I just don't, I don't like the ending. I think it's terrible. I think it's a terrible decision, and I'm sorry. But I do not like the ending, and I think it's... I mean, there's... I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was earned, either. I thought her killing herself kind of came out of the blue. I mean, like, they set up that she's been taking too many pills, but she doesn't do it very purposefully. She does it very absentmindedly. Yeah. Um, And it's just not... I don't know. It's very vague. And maybe they're trying to keep it lighthearted, which is why it's so vague. But I was just kind of like, does she have to die to be with her children? Or can she not just believe by seeing or see by believing and just coexist with the children. Why does she have to die too? Yeah. And see, I, I, I like, I don't like it cause it's depressing. I do like it because it's brave. I feel like it's a, it's a brave choice. Um, I, it's it, cause like I, like I said, the first time I watched it, I was like literally what the fuck just happened. And I was mad. I was completely mad the first time. I'm not going to disagree with you. And I know you didn't have a second. I know your opinion didn't change the second time you watched it. But the second time I watched it, there was so much foreshadowing. And I think it mainly yeah. is... There is more foreshadowing. Roar. Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah. Because literally Simone even says he's like... He's reading Peter Pan. And he's like... His mom... Laura says something to the point. She's like, are you going to be Peter Pan? He's like, yeah, I'm never going to grow old. And she mm-hmm. was, she's kind of taken back and because she's like, why would a child say that? And he's like, just like my mm-hmm. friends will never grow old. And um, when Aurora talks about, like, you know, he was able to see these things because he was closer to mm-hmm. death, it kind of gives me this comfort. I know this is fucked up, but it gives me this comfort that the chain of events that happened were meant to happen because Simone was going to die. And then Laura is able to see the children, not because she does this regression or that she's willing to play the game with them. She sees the children because it's almost her time to die. And when you think of it like that, it seems a little bit more comforting than just to think these horrible things happen because they're horrible and they happen. Um, which I think there's a lot of like, I don't know, that's, that's how I felt watching it. It's not like I'm just like, yay, they all died. Absolutely not. I just felt like mm. they were able to see the ghost because it was closer to their time. And yeah, that foreshadowing is in the movie. I see why she couldn't just coexist with the ghost children and open up a home for other children. And now that house is just going to be empty and sad. And that's yeah. depressing because all of those children could have used a home. So sorry, I hate the ending. <laughs> I think it's a terrible ending. It's okay. And it, it, it is foreshadowed, but I just thought... It was really depressing. And for her to go through all that and then, I don't know. I feel really bad for the husband. Yeah, I will say that. I even said that to Taylor. I was just like, I was like, I feel really bad for Carlos. And he goes, he's a doctor. He'll be fine. He gave her two days and she kills herself. Like, that's just so fucking sad. I mean, that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying, like, 
it's a movie. You can control how it ends. Um, it's just very sad. Um, but, you know, there's good points about this movie. I think it's very atmospheric. Um, I love the costume design for Tomas because it, it starts out really creepy and then it ends up like everyone accepts him. Um, I think that's definitely going to be the artwork because I already have something in my head, which is how I feel bad because I don't want a little child to scare them. But I think, you know, it's part of the charm of the movie. It's like, ooh, that's scary. Oh, wait, it's not scary. Oh. Um, and I think we already talked about everything that I liked about it and everything I hate about it. Oh, the ending seems like a ripoff of Pan's Labyrinth, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that's what you were referencing at the beginning, but I, I want yeah. to say due to the screenplay being written in the mid-90s, I think this actually predates Pan's Labyrinth. Not as far as the filming, well, when but when did you write the script. screenplay of Pan's Labyrinth? I'm not sure. We can definitely look it up and do a fact check real quick. Well, it came from his notebooks. So, it doesn't say when he started writing him, but um, it's definitely connected to The Devil's Backbone. Yeah. Which was which... produced in 2001. So, I mean, maybe this movie, this script does predate it. And maybe they're know. front. They're friends, too, so maybe they, they bounce back ideas back and forth, and they're like, I want to see a child die at the end of the movie. Dude, that's so cool. Like, no, just kidding. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind that he's dead. Once it's been yeah. six months, it's... He probably passed yeah. away. Um, that's fine. Like, that part I don't mind. It's the fact that, like, she has to die to be with him. Yeah. I don't know. I just have always thought that our loved ones who die before their time want us to go on and want yeah. us to live life and it's 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 a disservice to them to not go on um so i'm not i'm not blaming anyone who takes their own life or anything like that that's all yeah. i'm saying no, no, no. No, i've I just always felt like it's an honorable thing to go on after someone you love dies um and maybe because i've i've gone through it so many times especially lately people my own age that you know it's one of those like i have to because you know you have to do it to survive so i guess to me i'm just like i don't like the ending because i just think i don't know i just think there's a better ending out there um and pan's labyrinth already did it six years earlier so even if you wrote it first 2001 yeah i can't believe that movie's that old now i just was like wait it's 20 20 years years old it's 20 years old yeah i just checked it um, did you have a rating for this movie? I did. Um, I know yours is going to be very different than mine, but I actually gave it an 8 <laughs> out of 10. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, uh, my biggest, I, I think, once again, Belen really drove home this movie. There's a desperation to her character. Um, I, I felt like, I, I mean, when the devastation that, uh, Simone is dead hits, it, it hits you like a ton of bricks because you feel the love she has for her child. Um, I think it's like she carries this film so well. It's beautiful. It's atmospheric. It's haunting. Um, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of a fairy tale in a lot of ways. I know we've done a few different movies like that. My biggest, my biggest complaint is just there's a few plot holes that I really just don't. Big plot holes. Yeah, that I'm just Gaping. like you know, like the story is beautiful. And, like, the scenes are really great. Like, the first treasure hunt scene, I absolutely loved. I've watched yeah, it multiple cool. times. Yeah, so it's, like, there's a lot of cool parts, and it's beautifully filmed. There's just a few, I guess, things with the script that I kind of can poke holes in, and that's the one thing that bothers me about this film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, visuals are great. It's well shot, directed, and acted. Um, 
I gave it a six out of ten. Oh, you gave it a climax rating. So, I mean, I mean, yeah. The, oh, say, okay. Say, hey, that's this is the climax yeah. for me. By the way, did you have a grindhousey rating for this one? I do. I have two actually. Okay. okay. Rated you for unsettling memories and unwanted house guests, and then rated C for creepy ghost children. <laughs> I had creepy. I had a more serious one. I had rated M for a masked child and a mother's love. Oh, oh, I like that one. Let's do that one. Even though we did two rated M's, it's fine. Yes. So next week we had a bit of a snafu because I'm obsessed with the piano teacher right now. It is only streaming on Criterion Collection. And then I thought, what would be great to do a John Waters movie because it's Pride Month? And I thought Pink Flamingos would be amazing. But it's also only on Criterion Collection. And since most of our um, viewers probably don't have that streaming app, it's one of... It's great if you like very obscure movies, but it's not... a Like, they're very obscure ones, so I don't think a lot of people have Criterion Collection. Um, so we want to get something more accessible. There is a movie um, that we have been interested in. It's a Park Chan-wook movie, the director of The Handmaiden. Um, and old boy, and it's finally on Hulu, and it's uh, stars Song Kang Ho from Memories of Murder and Parasite. So um, it's called Thirst. It is a vampire movie. Um, it is a Korean movie. It is now streaming on Hulu. I've heard very good things about it. It's like a hidden gem of Korean cinema because everyone talks about old boy. Everyone talks about Memories of Murder, but a lot of people don't know about Thirst, but it's always on the list of, like, hidden Korean cinema gems. And Park Chan-wook um, is an amazing director, and I'm very excited about this. Um, but we are probably going to reach out to you guys. Is there a Grindhouse-themed, like, a uh, movie that no one's ever seen, or a scary movie, or a creepy movie, or just a weird out there movie that's available on streaming that would be LGBTQ plus friendly because there's a few movies out there that we know of, but they seem a little controversial or people are very on the fence about them. Um, like High Tension and Cruising, which I would love to know what people feel about those two movies because like, as cisgender ladies, straight ladies, you know, we're allies, but like, I don't. You know, it's it's one thing to empathize with people, but, you know, until you've walked a mile in their shoes, you don't really understand. So we don't want to be like, oh, hey, let's just watch this movie and it be offensive to people or just, like, in poor taste, yeah. I guess is a better way to put it. We just love you guys and we always want to be happy with everybody. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm so tired. Yeah. Sorry. We, I, we, we were looking at every movie that I was going to watch and apparently they're only streaming on Criterion because apparently I just have the most obscure um, streaming service that no one else has. Um, but please look out for that question. We're probably going to throw it up on Instagram and we would love to have a response. Um, yeah. But so, but for now we'll watch Thirst and it was my front runner before um, St. Maud, and then St. Maud came on streaming, and I was like, well, we have to do St. Maud first. Yeah. So we're going to do Thirst. Um, I'm excited about it because I've heard it's really, really cool. And um, we will see you next week. Um, stay safe. Um, 
celebrate but social distance if you can or at least get vaccinated if you're not going to social distance um make sure you wash your hands and take your vitamins take care of your puppies and your kitties and your pets and um be kind to one another because life can be rough sometimes but we love you guys and thank you for listening don't forget to rate like subscribe and share because the more you share and listen and like and subscribe the um, more people can find out about it and the more spooky friends we get so thanks for listening guys and we appreciate you yes I echo everything Katie said as always I know some of you uh, wait for this moment Uh, take your hydration shot Uh, this is your reminder drink some water Um, we love you guys stay safe out there Um, take care of yourself take care of your mental and physical health Um, thank you so much Mm -hmm. as always we look forward to seeing you next time same spoopy place same spoopy channel stay spoopy y'all stay spoopy bye bye night Katie bye Bye, Brittany. Bye, guys. (laughs) The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.